Well, I'm tripping major nutsack right now. Oh, Sethin! Welcome to the world of winning. Back to another edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. My name is Graham, and joining me, as always, on the spookiest podcast episode of the year. He defines the word impossible. It's Luke Holmes. I define the word impossible? What? <laughs> do you, do you don't remember this? No. You'll, you'll have to update me on this because I don't, I don't remember. I'm drawing a blank here. I'm going to sound very stupid, aren't I? Yeah, because do you remember, we're, we're going to talk about it, but the this is what the Alpine and Alan Permain used to... Oh, to, I get you now. To swing. I, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was going along them lines. Okay, yeah, my bad. How are we doing? <laughs> Not too shabby yourself. Worked up, worked up, ready to uh, get things rolling, ready for a, an excellent week. But it's probably not going to be an excellent week. Well, what about, like what? What time do you have to go out trick or treating today? Uh... Trick or treating me? <laughs> that means I have to socialise, Graham. I'm not doing that. Oh, so the costume's not an issue? No, no, that, that, I, I can do that perfectly fine. The fact that I would have to miss out miss out on valuable Call of Duty time mm-hmm. to uh, go beg some person for some sweets when I can go and buy some myself and get ones I actually like. Hey man, like cost of living is, is high these days, you know, free sweets is not a bad thing. Oh, yeah, I suppose. I didn't think I'd be like that. And heck, even but if someone's that, throwing an apple for, or, you know, <laughs> you know, I'll take that as well. I, I, I went to a house before when I was like 12 or 13 with my stepsister and this, this bloke had got no chocolate or anything. So he gave us both 20 quid each. I was like, yes. At no, would... at no point have you ever, ever said you had a stepsister. At no point. I've told you I've got two stepsisters. Never, never. Hundred percent. Never. Hundred percent. No, do not remember it. I, I have put in the WhatsApp group chat plenty of times. I'm at my stepsisters. No, I've heard or, your, I've heard your stepdads or your dads, but not yeah. your stepsisters. <laughs> well don't start because i know where that's going yeah because i feel like if i would remember because someone else in our group would have made a joke and no to be fair joe has quite a few times whenever <laughs> I, i've said it i genuinely never remembered it or re- registered it this is the downfall of our relationship girl. yeah that's it that's it we're done i'm just pointing to the point where you didn't tell me yeah going to an escape room with them on the friday so that should be fun Joe, you know, i actually had some friends who did an escape room in the states uh yeah i've always i don't know escape rooms are always one of those things where uh i don't know i don't know how i'd get on with them yeah i was they asked me if i wanted to go i was like sure why, why not? not something to do why not something different so yeah speaking of halloween uh what would you what would you what did you used to dress up as when you were when you were younger when you used to go out uh, we had the one costume for about five years, so because we were quite, I'd say, I'd say not poor but not well off. Lower, you know lower I mean. middle class kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. When, 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 when uh, my parents were still together, uh, we had this. I had a Iron Man type outfit. Maybe, maybe not Iron Man. I know my brother was definitely Hulk, and then I, I think I was Spider Man. One of the two. It was it was along them lines anyway. Spider Man would make more sense because like Iron Man wasn't really a thing to like oh eight as such. Like I know obviously the comic existed, but like you had like the mid two thousands, like or the early two thousands, two thousand three, the Hulk, which was like, j- mm-hmm. like awful, terrible. And I remember that I had, I had the game, 
to the Hulk for like for that of PlayStation Two, God. and it was similarly awful. Uh, Spider Man obviously looked early two thousands with the the Tobey Maguire, so yeah, that, that would have made sense. Iron Man, you know, like two thousand eight was the first Iron Man film, yeah, yeah, which well, I assume would have been. Well, I don't know actually. Like you're you're a few years after me, so like I was well, two thousand eight. I would have already been uh, fourteen or so. That would have been, so would have been a little little much for I'd me. Have about, I'd have been about eleven. Yeah, you, I suppose you could have gone. Then, I suppose at then, yeah. I'd have still gone. I'd go in it now. <laughs> do we, what, what do you remember? Like the last, what was the last year you went trick or treating? Do you remember how old you were? I want to say fifteen. Fifteen. But then I was, I was dragged around. I wasn't actually going around. If you know what I mean, oh, I was going okay. around with like family type thing. You were like, my... Were you dressed up or? No, I wasn't dressed up. Okay, that, that's different. Going yeah. up to going up to the doors with my little cousins. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, yeah, it's like not necessarily trick or treating, but that's last time I went. Yeah, I think I last went and I was, I think I may have been, th- th- uh, th- think 12, I think was the last time I went. Uh, I, it's not that big of a deal over here, to be fair. Uh, yeah, it's, I know what you mean. It's, it, it sort of dies off after after a while when, when you get past, what, the age of 10? Yeah, I'd say it's so. You sort of get a bit, mm. not really bothered about it. I used to drop, a, I know when I was younger, younger, I used to dress up as a clown. Oh God! Uh, which, which, like, I only learned, like, like it was only a few years ago I learned this whole fear obsession thing with clowns. I had generally no I idea. I hate them. I hate them. <laughs> we we had where I live. There was them killer clowns that went round and were stabbing people. Oh, le- like legit? Yeah. Oh. Legit. Yeah, and we we was what sixteen at the time and was at a house party, and there was a little jitty. Or like alleyway opposite this person's house, and you could see the clowns walking around with balloons and stuff. It was ever so scary. I've never, I never hidden and made sure doors were locked like that before. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. So like, I didn't understand until afterwards what like the whole clown thing. But I, I, I wouldn't have honestly thought nothing of it until I realized other people. Like, until I listened to other people's, I guess, fear of clowns. It's like, oh, so yeah, it's just I never occurred to me. Um, so you didn't like Ronald McDonald coming to your house? <laughs> no. No, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have nightmares now. <laughs> uh, then I, I think, I think I went to later as a Grim Reaper. Yeah, that was that's. I've had done that before, I believe. So, so yeah, so I, I, yeah, I was it was good fun at the time. I'm sure. Mm, definitely. Anyway, so we're uh, as much as I was love to continue talking about uh, Halloween and Halloween. things that scare us. Uh, we got some. We've lots of F1 talk to have. Uh, less so about the race this this time around, but uh, we'll we'll just move on to the some of the news items from throughout the week. Uh, confirmation of what we've been chatting about for a little while now. Uh, Audi uh, and Sauber uh, agreed their partnership for ahead of the 2026 season. Uh, obviously, this has we talked about Audi and the likelihood that they were going to tie themselves up with Sauber as their engine uh, or as their team to supply their engine. Of course, they're going to be building an engine our Audi. And uh, they announced then during the week of that uh, that collaboration. So uh, it's going to involve Audi uh, progressively getting a little bit more stock uh, of uh, or stake rather of uh, Sauber. Uh, I think uh, with the idea, I think eventually of them having the majority st- uh, stake. Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely what that's going to lead to. Eventually, I assume. Well, why wouldn't they? They as a manufacturer, they're not going to want to have someone else sort of being the majority stakeholder are they mm. so that'll happen over time uh, in the middle of 2026 so i guess gives between time between now and then for uh, i guess those two sides to kind of come together and i guess just see how things are done 
uh, for Audi to make, I guess, their recommendations or like, you know, like how they would, I guess, you know, with, with their infrastructure and such, how would they, how would they improve? Because I imagine this will eventually lead to maybe a full, perhaps, you know, maybe a full takeover in the future as well. You, know, you just don't quite know. Yeah, if it goes well, I definitely see that coming in, coming in eventually. Mm. So obviously, Audi and uh, sorry, Sauber and Alfa Romeo, their partnership will come to an end at the end of twenty twenty three, as originally, uh, as it was originally planned uh, earlier this year when that all stuff kind of came to the fore. So after that, yeah, I guess they'll I guess they'll just be running Sauber then for for two seasons, just on their own, just it's kind just of strange, isn't it? Very strange. You know, they're like, they'll lose the branding after 23, but I do, do do you think we'll see a little bit of Audi on the car? Yeah, you have to. You just like a kind of like an Aston Martin kind of thing with Red Bull kind of just, just as a title sponsor at least. There there will be something there. If it's small, a couple of stickers here and there, or whatever it is, Audi just think, well, we might as well just go all out with it now and get some advertisement. And it's my, we've got the contract agreement there already. We might as well take advantage of it. Well, it's free advertisement, isn't it? Mm. So. I reckon we'll probably see like a Sauber livery, but just with Audi maybe on it, rather than they say the full. Like you've, you've seen, I'm sure everyone's seen the concept art of like an Audi liveried uh, car. Uh, yeah. So I imagine maybe that might wait for 26. Maybe just get, I guess, just build, just build a little bit more excitement. That you know, you have a subtle, say, a subtle livery or a subtle little thing, and then. 26 boom audi we're here we've got a full car livery and yeah we'll kick ass yeah have you seen the the rumors about the drivers they want no i haven't actually and how it lines up so apparently they're talking to mick which is a, a debatable one considering he's not going to be on the grid next year mm-hmm. and then apparently vettel's being lined up which which is very ironic or a coincidence, because the last German to retire that was a world champion came back after three years to join a new manufacturer that was coming to the sport for the first time. Can you name them? Oh, God. Say that again. So a German world champion retired, and then three years later, he came back oh. out of retirement. <laughs> yeah? You Sorry. know where I'm going yeah, with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, yeah. Yeah. Go on. Uh, Michael Schumacher, of course. Yes, of course, with Mercedes. Mm. So, people on TikTok, I've I've seen a sort of saying that Vettel's going to come out of retirement and join forces with Mick mm. and form the super team at Audi. Interesting. I say I say super team. <laughs> yeah, like driver stuff is always tough to speculate at this time because, like, it, is oh it, yeah, it's like of course. it's for twenty six. So, like, we've got guys in like. We could have some guys in former regional European team by Alpine who could be F one C contenders by that point. Do you know what I mean? Like an F three, mm. for example. Like we could have like we could be talking about Zayn Maloney, or we could be talking about Ollie Behrman, or do you know what I mean? Like Pinto, you know, yes. like like we've got a whole like, like like that's how long like this like we got like a well actually well what twenty three twenty four like yeah so like three year cycle basically for drivers to come up the whole way or like or for some existing to get into F one and get a few years in there. Uh, and that's even before Sauber, like, or having even have a word on their on their driver on their driver stuff. So mm. it is like it is yeah, interesting to be, like. And heck, we talk about Mick Schumacher could be out of F one three years by that by twenty six. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's a tough one to to gauge. The I would the the Schumacher Vettel thing. I I think it's different for a few a few different reasons. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. People were just doing it more off the the timings and everything. Yeah. 
uh if i want to if you want to actually get in like schumacher is probably still at his uh, i guess close to a peak still in 2006 when he left mm-hmm. originally um his whole thing i think i i genuinely think he didn't want to because sh- they had the right like the worst kept secret in f1 for for quite a while was the raikkonen 07 deal yeah and then massa ended up actually doing really well and I think Schumacher, I think I think part of him didn't. I'm, I'm sure part of the reason was he wanted to step away for family and that kind of thing. Because like if you watch the Netflix documentary, you see how much of a, a sacrifice they all had to make during that time, and like how I guess the what they filled those those years in between, like the family stuff. Where like it was really obviously you can see how much it meant to the whole the whole family that that time when he was away for that for, for initial first first retirement. But I think he also felt bad about it because, like, where where would Massa have gone? Like, he he would have his career would have been in some way shafted. Would have. Mm. And we saw what you know, and Massa took advantage of the opportunity that Schumacher obviously left behind. Yeah, he did. You know, he wrote, continued to win races, a championship contender in 08, champion for what 14, 30 seconds, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. You know, so like he did make use of it. Uh, the Vettel thing, I would argue that. I you know he we see flashes of Vettel, of Vettel but I would I would the thing I would say and I'm I'm harsh on Vettel and others are so take my opinion with a uh, hint of, with, a, with a grain of salt but I would I would consider Vettel seventy percent washed at this stage. <laughs> it depends whether he likes the track or not. You know, <laughs> uh, washed slash not as motivated. Yeah, like I say, it, 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 it tracks he likes. He seems to do really well at tracks. He doesn't care about the result. Just isn't there. Yeah. Look at Japan and look at USA, for example. Oh yeah, definitely. Now, look, obviously, look. Some of that is obviously helped by the car being in a better oh, place. Oh, shite! <laughs> what do you do? I I have two drinks here, Graham. I have a coffee and a and some squash. So if you knock them I both walking, over, I, I knocked one into the other. So good. <laughs> do you need a minute to clean up? No, no. It was, it was only just brushing past. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, so the, the cars got better, obviously, the season's gone on. So, like, Vettel's, Vettel's been able to put in those better performances with the car being a little bit better than uh, it was earlier in the season. Had, had a good time for him, I suppose. Yeah, shame Stroll hasn't done so. Yeah, well, well, I mean, he should have in USA, but yeah. Anyways, um, oh, looking forward yeah. to Audi, though, and as look, I'm, I'm glad they've got, uh, they're going to be involved in this in this regard. And Sauber is a, is a perfect fit for them, so. It does, yes. It is a very nice fit. So, and look, there's plenty of like there's videos and articles that go into why it's a good fit, and like Sauber's struggles in the mid two thousand, and they're obviously op- I don't think they're operating at the cost cap, or they're, you know they've still got their silver camera, or they're kind of recovering still as a as an operation from those um, financial issues in the mid twenty uh, tens. Yeah. So you know so th- this will obviously will really help them. Uh, they've got race wins, and obviously, look, you'd imagine, obviously, with a, 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 a t- an outfit that is as successful as it has been in other categories of motorsport in Audi, you know, they've obviously got championship aspirations with them. So, like, we're not, we're talking about Audi here as a, a team with aspirations of getting to the front of the grid. Hmm. So, oh, yeah, that, that's definitely the long term goal. So. Yeah. So it's going to be very interesting to see how, how they take Sauber along that journey. So, getting them in now is obviously a great idea to, you know, to get. That early inroads into understanding what, like what the the scale of journey is going to be. Yeah, obviously Audi will have to help uh, with the uh, the make sure the engine is right. So, yeah, obviously pressures on them as well. I suppose that, I suppose that work really begins now. Like, how, how do you how, how do you think that actually begins? Like the the work on 
the 26 engine like how how, how... it's already gone yeah. I, I i assume it's already underway you would you would have to imagine something like that it needs to be at least been researched at this time or studied just to get an idea of what's what they're with i.e the ferrari engineers they're a salver or whatever sort of seeing what's what getting the red round things i'm sure they already know this anyway but there's a lot of complex components that we all don't understand so mm. i'm sure things will be in, po- in place for them them to be ready for 26 right and there are other there are certain elements that are carrying over from the from these previous or these current engines as well exactly so exactly get understanding of that uh moving on then to when we got to the well obviously look there was a big top, uh, debate on uh big debate of the after the u.s grand prix about uh, fernando alonso getting a getting a post-race penalty for his uh condition of his car after Haas put in a protest uh, this was going to be, and also actually call it one of the more important decisions F1 were going to make. Uh, I do like those, uh, I, I, like, uh, if anything, Alonso knows how to play the exaggeration game. Like, he is, he is good at this. Um, he, he knows how to play every game, Graham. Yeah. He's just the, he knows everything down to a T. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, initially, it was very strange because initially it was thrown out, the protest. And yeah. then they exited the, the right to review. And then yeah. it was overturned. So Alonso did get his P7 back. Uh, so the the, the 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 whole dynamics behind this were were very strange, uh, but uh, so as as part of the, so I'm reading from the I'm reading, so to help make sense of it I'm going to read a piece from uh, Josh Suttle on the the hyphen race dot com. Uh, going over this uh, so as, as part of Alpine's counter-protest against Haas's original protest <laughs> so stupid uh, the team claimed Haas lodging the protest 24 minutes after the usual 30 minute deadline meant that it shouldn't have been accepted the FIA were, was already aware, aware of this and revealed the deadline wasn't met because Haas was seeking clarification before lodging the protest Alpine's protest was also outside of the deadline window and was deemed not admissible in the first video conference on Thursday evening Alpine then petitioned the stewards for a review of the original penalty to determine if a significant and relevant new element has been discovered, which was not available to Alpine at the time of the decision taken to find the Haas protest admissible. Its case centred around centred on the decision to allow Haas to lodge a protest outside a 30-minute deadline, challenging the initial ruling that it would have been, quote, impossible, end quote, for Haas to do so. <laughs> this next bit is my favourite bit by far, because... It just goes into the rabbit hole of like just what teams and will do to you know just to, for anything really. According to documents from the review hearing, Alpine sporting director Alan Permain, who is someone we have mentioned on this on this podcast on a few occasions, yep. Alan Permain argued, "quote The word impossible end quote sets a very high bar." Uh, I shit you not with this next part. The Oxford Dictionary defines it as being something that cannot happen or be achieved. And then in that, and that in this case, there was nothing preventing Haas from lodging the protest within the 30 minute deadline as it could have done so with a handwritten protest. <laughs> Isn't that the most amazing bizarre. shit? It's, it's so, so silly, but it's so funny at the same time. Yeah. And, it, and the thing is, it worked. Which, which Absolutely. Funnier. <laughs> and I, I guess they have a point. Like, they, there's nothing that's, there's nothing that's stopping the submission the protest and then. I guess if it's thrown out, it's thrown out. But I guess they, I, mean, I guess there's, yeah. I guess they're writers. Like I know they were waiting for information, and that, that's fair as well. Uh, but I guess you know, technically, there's nothing stopping them from actually sending the protest to begin with. Yeah, and just having it there ready, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Haas team manager Peter Kralla acknowledged that this was the case, and that his team would have done this quote had it not been told by the FIA 
official in the race control that had an hour to get its protest in. And this is what Kudoshaiwa was annoyed about was that um, the, he said the race director was, had gave Haas the wrong deadline for the yeah. protest. All from you, Nils Vitich. Yeah. So I can look. He look. Obviously, each time I was frustrated with that. So, but I guess it's also on their sporting director or whoever. Like I guess Pierre Kroll in this in this case to to you know as an awareness of the of the regulations. Like you, we heard last year, you know, like in the comms, like with between FIA and the teams, how how the top guys are just so honest with their understanding of the regulations and the rules and what has to be done. Like, you know, for all for all the furore that Mercedes threw, you know, in the aftermath of Abu Dhabi, immediate aftermath where Ron Meadows angrily walked down the paddock, you know, they knew their shit very, very quickly. Like, they, they knew exactly what grounds they were going to try and get this overturned. Like, in, like in the, the uh, Verstappen nudging ahead on the, the safety car and all this kind of thing that they tried to, to try and get that uh, result thrown out. It didn't work, obviously, but... The, the top guys are very much aware of this and just seem like Haas were caught a little bit lacking in terms of their awareness of, like, this is why it is. It's half an hour. Yeah, yeah. Well, lesson learned, isn't it, now? They know what they need to do. Yeah, lessons learned, not just for them, but there was a, a clarification of uh, a few things, but mostly the... Uh, well, FIA just decided to deem that uh, loose mirrors are not unsafe after all. Uh, there's a piece on this uh, by Scott Mitchell Mam on the race.com. So uh, they, so teams were, Alan Permain was speaking afterwards about this. Uh, and he said, there have been very positive discussions with the FIA technical department and they agreed that, quote, uh, agreed things have gone, have gone too far. And Permain said, from here onwards, small damages like the mirror, like the front wing end plate, if it's non-structural, like a brake duct, something that like that will not be considered to be a black and orange flag offence. This is still ongoing, and I'm sure the technical advisory committee and the sporting advisory committee will uh, will, dis- will discuss it uh, more. But in the line, but line in the sand has been drawn. Good, and that was the thing. Like FI, you know, over the weekend they were going to re- be reviewing the like black and orange flag, and this all seems to fall under that. It seems like a, between the Red Bull thing, which we'll get to next. This this whole weekend was, I guess, just like about just drawing a line in the sand of of matters. Yeah, there's more politics than actual good racing this weekend, Graham. Yeah, which is stupid, but yeah, I I know it's messy, but I'm I think this is ultimately the right. I know Haas have obviously lost a lot of points. Whether they'll lose P eight or not in the standings of it is to be de- determined because of obviously three times Magnussen has pitched it, and look, two of those were from at least two of those were from pretty good positions. Uh, Spain yeah. and Canada being. Two. What was the third? It was Singapore. Yeah, you could argue Singapore. Obviously, was the was the, was the other one, wasn't it? And that was mm-hmm. that was look. So you could argue three races. They've lost three points toward positions, which would in a season for Haas would be extremely valuable. Uh, it, it is interesting that apparently the three times they've had this black and orange flag thrown at them, it's not been Niels Wittek, but Eduardo Freitas. Yeah, yeah. I was t- I was talking to my dad about it when I was t- I was telling him about how Freitas got sacked basically so yeah i was like he's he's a bit dodgy eduardo is good old eduardo <laughs> i like, like vintage to be fair yeah i do i do too i think uh, i think he's one i think i've preferred of the two but it, it kind of just goes back to the whole thing this whole it could just like one race director and another race director how they apply the rules has been is it clearly been different it's always going to be different it's never going to be the same opinion. No, me and you don't have the same opinion. Sure. And we're very, very good friends, I would say. And we have 
basically the same views on 90%, but there was always going to be that discrepancy. Yeah, definitely. No matter who, who you are. So it should have always been one star off with, always. Yeah, and like you're seeing the flaw in the two. And yeah, I, I again, it just goes back to the whole... It all just stems back to the whole fallout from like, was this Abu Dhabi thing? Was this really the best thing to do? Because people have still had issues with how decisions have been taken this year. It doesn't matter who's in charge. Yeah, it, it, it just everything leads back to that bloody race. I'm fed up of it. I know. Honestly, I think some one day I think right, we're finally past it, and then something else gets dragged up that makes us go back to it, and then people start getting salty about it again. It's just. It's just a constant cycle, isn't it? Yeah, I have to imagine, though. Like, I know, like, obviously, the race directions obviously shape things for the future, like, in terms yeah. of Abu Dhabi. So, like, naturally, it'll go back to that because, like, that was the incident where we've it's got this. Yeah, we've got, you know, for, for everyone's race direction, like, obviously, what we have now is currently based on or stemmed from that day. Yeah. Whereas everything else now, hopefully, with the line in the cost cap, which we'll talk, talk about now, uh, hopefully, that should be the last we've heard from at least we should be the last we hear from 2021 unless someone decides to break something up because now the cost cap is over with you'd have to like what like i also have a question like what what do you think could come up that would bring up that whole thing again uh i don't know actually there's not much that can come up right you'd have to imagine so right like surely this is it like this has to be it basically we've had everything in the last year or so, haven't we? There's been all sorts. Netflix, this is your fault, by the way. <laughs> um, th there has been so much drama and so much politics-wise that have come up that I just don't see what else can possibly raise its head. Yeah. There, there, there is, we've had the whole cheating thing. We, Money's gone past. Oh, I, I don't know. The list is just endless. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh but just lastly on the, the the damaged cars thing, I'm I'm glad, like I know it was messy, but I think they said they've set the right thing going forward. It's like you, we can't just retire a car for because its mirror is loose or has come off for something that wasn't someone's fault or, or whatever the case may be. Like I know I know there's a safety element to be had in that. Of course, of course. But I think I know it's been messy. I know Haas have lost out, but. I think there was always going to be this. Yeah, look, there was always going to be someone that's going to come off worse than us. I, I think the right thing has been set going forward. Like it would have been madness had that, had that been allowed to stand. Like because that's the precedent you set going forward. Like right, no mirror, that's it. Box the car or spend the time, however long it would take to replace a wing mirror. Yeah, well, anybody with a, a damaged floor or something that's structural, that's it. Game over. Even though the car's probably fine to drive, it's game over. Just retire. Yeah. No point. So Which I think, is obviously not good for the show. Yeah, I think ultimately that like it, this is the right decision. So like I've, I think yeah, I'd be encouraged from that point of view. Like it's you know, but yeah, yeah, it's messy to get there. Hmm. Right, cost cap. Uh, yes, move on to the cost cap then. Uh, so obviously, Red Bull were in discussions with the FIA about an accepted breach agreement. Uh, we wondered why they 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 did this because when the details came out of like why it is Red Bull went over ultimately, like, you could say ultimately it was four hundred thousand. That they really yeah. went. I know it was one point one point eight or whatever. But, eight, yeah. Uh, Considering could, the tax. Yeah. yeah, you could really say you could really say it was four hundred thousand. Which, um, and look, Speckle. you you could have just like, it, look. It, it is over. Look, I know it's in the grand like a grand scheme of one hundred forty million, 
140 million, 145 million. Uh, 400,000 is very little. But look, ultimately, there, it is it is in breach. Uh, so there are still there are still points of contention where you could look. We argued look, Red Bull, if they wanted to, they could they could take it further. They 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 don't have like we wondered why they would go into accepted breach because if you go into it, like there's a chance maybe that they could just still fall under as their original submission was. But they decided to enter into the accepted breach agreement and they ended up being fined $7 million and they've lost 10% in their wind tunnel time uh, for 20, during, during 2023, not for 2023, during 2023, which has effect on uh, development, not just for the car. Well, I guess it depends where they allocate, really. Like, either it affects development of the car during 23 or mm. their 24 development. I guess that, that's just a, depending where they set that off. Yeah, really. It's it's a big penalty, isn't it? I think people sort of, I think, are underestimating how big of a penalty it actually is. The cash is nothing. Red Bull pissed that back. But yeah. the actual wind tunnel time, that's huge. Because what? The, the winning constructor gets, I think, I believe it's 40 runs yeah, on, we'll, in the one wind tunnel. Yeah, there's a piece that goes through it. Um, we'll fly through that in a sec. But just what were, you, like, what were your initial thoughts when we finally got this uh, this announcement that this is what it was? Uh, 10%, $7 million. You think 10%? I know it's it was... Fair. You think it's fair? Like, I know there was rumors about 20% and... If if it was the actual two million over or whatever it was, then I wouldn't have said it's fair. But the fact is, the tax rebate and what have you and all that, which equates to it being like four hundred thousand, nearly five hundred thousand over. I think this is 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 a stern penalty, but it's the right one. Anything more, I think, would have been a bit too much, considering it's not gotten directly on car development or anything like that. It's and they can prove it's not. It's just purely on things that have nothing to do with that so it's the right choice i'm not a fan of it because obviously i don't want to see anybody getting penalties and what have you but at the end of the day it's the precedent again using that word which is becoming a, a favorite ours on this on this podcast mm. and in f1 in general it's the precedent has been set so i'm all for it at the end of the day yeah i think it'll i think it will, will be enough of a deterrent for teams that you went over by even this much, this is the penalty. Like 10% for essentially 400,000 breach is harsh. Yikes. He says a big yikes. That's But that sets, I think, for those who are skeptical about the whole thing, I think that sets, that, that sets, I think, a good, a, good, uh, a good precedent going forward. Oh, definitely, definitely. Not, we're not going to get this... Oh, this penalty isn't enough, so we're just going to blow past the cost cap and do a major breach. Hmm. Don't think anybody's going to do that now. Cough, cough, Toto Wolf. Because <laughs> uh, I'd, lo- I'd love to see what the penalty would be for a major breach. I know I said this last week, but hmm. could you imagine? It could be like fifty percent of your wind tunnel time gone. Yeah, it, like there obviously there's obviously there's obviously a, a bunch of options available to them under the major breach category. Uh, this is the statement that the FIA or the uh, was it the FIA? Yeah, the FIA put out the statement on there, the Red Bulls penalty. Uh, so, following the submission of all required documentation by all ten Formula One teams, the Cost Cap Administration carried out the first ever review process under the FIA Formula One Championship financial regulations. These financial new financial regulations are a very complex set of rules that competitors were required to adapt to for the first time. 
Red Bull Racing was found to be in breach. However, the COSCAP administration recognised that Red Bull Racing has acted cooperatively throughout the throughout the review process and has sought to provide additional information and evidence when requested in a timely manner that this is the first year of the full application of the financial regulations and that there is no accusation or evidence that Red Bull Racing has sought at any time to act in bad faith, dishonesty or in a fraudulent manner, nor has it willfully concealed any information from the COSCAP administration. So uh, that's the state. that was the statement they put out. So very much kind of wanting to put a line in the sand that Red Bull did not intentionally hide information. They did not... Sh- uh, give us the runaround. They did not uh, mislead us. This is that's what the FIA have said, essentially said with that uh, with that statement. Yeah, yeah, which is what I wanted to hear. I didn't want this. They've chased us around and completely sent us the wrong way, type thing. So mm. as long as they've been straight, straight with the FIA, then that's that's good. Uh, there are there are articles out there like there's one um, from Edstraw on the race.com and which go over the 13 ways that the Red Bull got the cost cap, the cost cap calculation wrong uh, these are obviously they're, they're obviously they were outlined in the uh, the document that was released afterwards from the FIA about this so about uh, from all this the full report from this whole thing uh, yeah. not going to go into all 13 of them but there are there there the, the information is there for you, is on hand to you know, for you, for, you, for you to read on uh, a lot of the stuff that like we've talked about, kind of this the gardening leave and uh, tax and all that and other costs. I did there was so it was, this was on the races uh, podcast, but someone one of one of the guy, one of the people from the race um, the races uh, membership club, uh, which is basically they're paid uh, they're basically paid uh, certainly you pay for to support the the publication essentially. Uh, basically, make a made a good point of that Red Bull were over. Uh, the margin by less of a value that uh, it would have cost to have fixed or replaced the parts that essentially Mercedes damaged both in Silverstone and Hungary. I, I saw that on Twitter. I saw that on Twitter. Yeah, that's that's it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting, but I do agree with what, what I think. What I think it was Scott Mitchell Malmat said uh, if that look if it that I don't. I, he didn't think it would have had an actual effect on the cost cap because I look I think I think he's right because like if it's not being if it wasn't used to repair it would have been used for development somewhere else like it would have been assigned either way I think that money is assigned regardless to the one whatever money I think is assigned to whatever section and you've got money that's assigned to catering or whatever etc 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 yeah so I think it is a good point but I don't think it I think it didn't actually matter as in the grand scheme of things of why Red Bull went over and I think if it was you definitely would have heard about it from Christian Horner oh yeah definitely 100% either he would have said he it have. or he, he had missed an opportunity to say it one of the two he, he would have made that known absolutely in the 50 plus minute conference that he had to do on uh, was it Friday night or Thursday night uh, one of the two uh, where he was alone like in his glasses and a piece of paper in front of him where he's basically there for an hour talking about it uh I think that would have come up once or twice if that, like, if he want, I mean, look, I'm sure he could, I'm sure he could have done it even, even if it had nothing to do with, like, even if it didn't, even if it wasn't true, I'm sure he could have put that out there. Definitely. But uh, he chose not to, so, um, which I think, yeah, well, I mean, you say that, but like, it's not as if Mercedes have been shy about, uh, They've been like Total Wolf talked about. There's a piece on RaceFans.net about uh, from Will Wood talking about uh, reputational damage. How uh, about the cost? The penalty and reputational damage will deter others from breaching the cap. 
Mercedes are in large part responsible for some of that um, reputational damage that has been done here because they've they've been ringleaders on this and they were the first ones to elude Red Bull had been uh, grossly overspent. Yeah. So, I mean, like, the reputational damage is partly responsible from Toto Wolff in many ways. Uh, of course it is. Uh, so, it is. I mean, Horner could have, I think, would have been, like, for all the shite and the such that, that not just, it's not just Mercedes, you know, it's not just Mercedes who have thrown around uh, jabs and snipes at uh, Red Bull and Christian Horner. Like, but, so, like, you know, I think Horner would have been well within his rights to have fired some back. And... Obviously, he like I I he I think he feels that they some teams owe him an apology, and I think, yeah. I, and in one sense, look, they are obviously over, but another sense, to the degree that teams made out to be, I think there's a case that you could that could be made that maybe he's got a point that maybe that some teams should, maybe not apologize, but walk back some of their comments to a degree yeah. or rein them back a bit. Yeah, that's not happening. It won't That's happen, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 7 million was the highest, uh, there's a second highest penalty in F1 history. Can you name the highest penalty in F1 history? The 100 plus million for McLaren, am mm. I correct? Yes, that is correct, from Spygate. And that, that, I know, like, I was following F1 at the time that happened, um, but I guess with time, the passage of time, that is, like, like, that is such an astronomical... I, I cannot believe that was an actual fine. Like, Yeah, that is ridiculous. Crazy. Yeah. Fair. And the fact that the team was able to pay it as well. You could argue maybe they weren't... Like, You could argue they were, haven't been quite been able to get back to the same height since then. Yeah, they haven't, really. Like, you know... Like, They've come close in up to 2012, and then after that, it was sort of downhill, really. And obviously, 08 was their last driver's title. Uh, when was their last constructor's title? Uh, they would oh, have won God. 07. Yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. When? Oh, God. When was their last constructor's title? It, it, I don't think it was 99 either. No, you, you're talking somewhere. It's, it's got to be yeah. 98. Yeah. I'll have, I'll have a quick check of that. But, yeah, I, I understand why, yeah, Horner was a little bit peeved about it. Uh, the other thing with that uh it's obviously look there's obviously how red bull and other teams feel about the penalty uh, obviously the word christian horner used was draconian mm. uh, now look I, I do think he talked about the 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 how it'll affect red bull and he what was the gap did he, do you do you know off the top of your head what the gap he's like how much time per lap he thinks that penalty might actually cost i don't off the top of my head. Uh, I think he said it was like, like maybe a point three or a half a second a lap or so. Um which I, I for for a ten percent reduction in time. I do like again look with the same the same with Ferrari and their uh, how I felt about their uh, Bonato's comments about uh, how much time could be gained. I do think there's an exaggeration on both sides to make it seem that it's a bigger penalty than it actually maybe is in some ways. Yeah. And that's how Red Bull's rivals felt about it. Um uh, let me find what... Oh, look, McLaren have been very vocal about this. Um, not just Zach Brown, but Andreas Seidel too. And uh, but Andrew Shovlin of Mercedes said that... Uh, he said, less of a problem if they're referring to... Uh, if they were finding a content they are happy with, which is likely to be the case, it's Red Bull... Uh, sorry, uh, I'm getting all... There's a lot of... Sorry, there's... 
I'm in the middle of uh, all over the place because there's, like, there's a lot of there, look there's a lot of shit written about this there's a lot of shit out there uh, is what Andrew Shovlin uh, tracks and engineering of Mercedes had to say if it were half a second which I've heard mentioned then the team at the back of the grid would have a three second advantage to the one at the front and that simply isn't the case but it depends on how well you make your decisions during the year I'd have thought a tenth or maybe a tenth or maybe a bit more than a tenth maybe two tenths is realistically what it will cost you uh Laura Mechias then of Ferrari said, we certainly think it's low. We don't see it on the same scale as to be able to compensate the overspending that was done, especially combined with the fact that the penalty is not combined with any budget cap reductions for them. So we say altogether that uh, what will remain of the real impact of the penalty will probably be very small. Uh, and the R- McLaren said that it, the penalty clearly doesn't fit the breach. A lot of people were saying it should have come out of the cap. The, the actual fine. The fine? It's, uh, yes. Yeah, I understand why they would say that. It happened. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem, I think, uh, we, we, and we mentioned it, I think the problem was that you might end up in a perpetual cycle where you, yeah. you because you're fine, you can't get under the cap again. And then you, it just, you end up being repeat offender and it just gets real or messy. It's just messy. It's just, it's, yeah. It, there's pros and cons to both. I can understand why people said that. But yeah, to me, it's just. Asking for a vicious cycle. If it happens again, uh, not not next year, but the year after, then I would say, yeah, if you're a repeat offender, then it's going to start coming off your, off your budget cap. That would sort of be hmm. a, a good suitable punishment, I think. Uh, there were a couple of people who felt a, diff- a little bit differently about it. Um, Admiral Sattler actually think it was uh, appropriate. He said, uh, they were marginally over from what I could tell by reading all the releases and listening to Christian. But over is over. From half a kilogram underweight on track, we were excluded from a particular race. But I believe the punishment's a good one and that the process was followed. And I'm happy that both the FIA and Red Bull have come to their conclusion and they're happy to move move forward. And so are we. And that was Christian Horner's big thing. It's like, well, what, like our question, like, well, why, why go into an ABA if, like, if you genuinely believe and you've said on record publicly that you think that you are, your submission was under and you're sticking to that. And... The bottom line was that uh, they just want they like everyone else just want the draw draw line line on the sands that just this the longer this went on the worse it would be for F one. Yeah. So it, it it needs that line drawn in this whole cost count situation now. Well, I'm so done with it. Yeah, that that's that's the thing. Like I think it's just it's just to be done with it. Uh, where where was the. Uh, where was the, yeah so this is what Horner had to say had we dragged it out through the administration process to effectively go to appeal that could have taken months and then beyond that the international court of appeal could have taken further months so we could have been looking at a 12 month period to have closed to have the situation closed with the amount of speculation and commenting and sniping that's been going on in the paddock we felt it's in everybody's interests in our interests the FIA's, FIA's interests in Formula 1's interests to say we close the book here and today we accept the penalties begrudgingly but we accept them yeah and to look i think they've had i genuinely think they had genuine cause they could have they could have taken it further if they wanted to and i think they would have been within their rights too so i think fair play for red bull just to say look for the interest of everyone involved we're gonna we're, we, we don't have to accept this but we'll accept it even though we're not happy about it we'll accept it for the good of everyone the sport us everyone else it's done we'll, again like you said we close the book here and today it's finished yeah 
I think I think they have been the I I genuinely think they have been the bigger team about it because some of the stuff like over the weeks and months like I guess months like not weeks more so has been quite disrespectful given what information was out there and even Andreas Seidel talked about uh, how he wasn't interested like he didn't listen to Christian Horner uh, in that press conference he said no I didn't listen to it because I can imagine it was another fairy tale hour probably so no not really interested in that <laughs> a fairy tale hour yeah like uh, I don't know they've been very pretty vocal about the whole thing at McLaren uh, Ferrari obviously like, there has been a lot of ganging up uh, for stuff like we talked about it hasn't actually been that big of a deal but like over is over 10% is is, gonna, is what they're going to take it's going to affect them because uh, there's a piece on the race.com from Scott Mitchell Mam talking about the aero penalty so in F1 depending where you finish the season or where you are at the midpoint of the season determines your allocation of uh, wind tunnel runs your CFD items and your aero testing limit and is proportionate to where you finish in the standing. So as the 22, 22 table prediction, or sorry, table stands, uh, it, so you get Rebel Wood at being at the top of the table, gets 70% of the testing limit, and they get 224 wind tunnel runs and 1,400 CFD items. And Ferrari, it's 75, 240, 1,500. It slides all the way down, uh, to Williams, who have 115% of the aero testing limit, 268 wind tunnel runs, and 2,300 CFD items. So you see the, the sliding scale of how it works. Under the new allowance for Red Bull now with this penalty, it's 63% of the aero testing limit, 202 wind tunnel items, and 1,260 CFD items. You compare that to Ferrari, which is 75, 240, and 1,500. And Mercedes at eighty percent, two hundred fifty six runs, sixteen hundred. Mm. So these are fairly significant jumps in gap between the between this. So that's a especially for a t- with teams with infrastructure like Ferrari, and Mercedes. That is a now I know Ferrari's correlation may have issues, but Mercedes is usually fairly fairly decent. So that oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a fairly significant difference. So I think that is fair. Yeah, like I said earlier on, I think it's a, a harsh but fair penalty, regardless of what the people think. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's going to be you're going to see how we see how it really takes shape at the start of twenty three. If Red Bull come out the gate and they have the quickest car, that'll certainly make this easier on them because yeah. they won't have as much time to develop through the season, whereas other teams will. If Red yeah. Bull are playing catch up to Mercedes or Ferrari from the start, that is this penalty will certainly hurt a lot more. So I think how teams start the next year will determine how costly that penalty may be. Definitely, definitely. It's going to be an interesting watch. Yeah. So I hope that's the last we hear of it because... It will be the last we hear of it, Graham. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about it again. Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about it. There's a lot of people talking about it, a lot of uh, snipes and jabs from teams. So... Yeah, I, I hope that that's the end of it. Uh, otherwise, if it isn't, then Red Bull, I'm sure, would have would have preferred just to take it onwards. If because I think their hope is that just everyone just stops talking about it and it's it's done. Yeah, and I hope so. I hope that's the case. Yes, I have an, an item of news to mention. Before yes, do it. 
because I normally I end up saying my random stuff at the end of the podcast. And well, this one sort of sh- should like be welled into here. Uh, Colton Herter signed a new deal with Andretti and Gainsbridge till 2027. So I'm guessing that basically ties him down to the actual Andretti project rather than Andretti IndyCar in 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 basic terms. So that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. Obviously, with Andretti and Porsche rumor going around that we mentioned last week, Colton would probably be one of the first drivers on the list. Yeah, like, like I imagine. Look, if it, if, it, if it was if it did come to that, and it's a one like it's a partnership between Andretti and Porsche, they, I assume it's to get one driver each. Yeah, basically. And it's been no secret that Andretti wants Colton in there, and Colton wants to be in there too. Yeah. That was my like. I saw that during the week, and I was like, "Huh." I because I, like I have to imagine. Like, what was it twenty seven? Did you say? Yeah, twenty twenty seven. Yeah, like you have to imagine. There's deal. like what that takes. What's what's five years from now, which is takes her to twenty six, twenty seven mm-hmm. years old. Uh, so, not impossible. Look, we see Nick Nick DeVries with the games have a debut at similar age, essentially. Yeah. But I imagine there there's F one out in that contract. I imagine that's been set up that way. There, if he gets an F one opportunity, then he can exercise that and and go. Definitely. Um, other sports have this as well. Um, you know, I in I for like I know in basketball, for example, like they would players sign teams with European deals. They include NBA outs. So if they an NBA team comes knocking, they can they can go pursue the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, look, obviously there is a, there is some similarity between like. Like obviously, a lot of American sports have got cost caps in in them as well. And I tell you, the penalty the penalties for them are all financial. There's no sporting penalties for breaching the salary cap, for example. It's you, you, silly. you just you just pay extreme luxury tax. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're angry about like at least like at least for Ripple, there like there's sporting there's a sporting penalty. Mm. In other sports, it's just like it's just purely financial. The owners have to pay it out of their own pocket. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you were looking for crumbs of comfort, I guess uh, you know there's the actual sporting penalty to be had here, and not like that. But anyways, yeah, interesting with Colton. I I assume there's an F one out in that in that deal. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, moving on then, um, we kind of transition then into the Mexico City Grand. I keep forgetting, I keep forgetting it's the Mes- Mexico City Grand Prix. Yeah, so do I. But yeah. Uh, uh, they announced over the weekend a new deal for it to remain on the calendar until 2025, so a little three-year extension there. So, uh, oh, God. Yeah, I mean, I think F1 likes returning there, but the action on track isn't always stellar. It's never good. <laughs> never good. Like, I, I know I know people People often refer to the, the 2016 battle where he had Verstappen, Vettel, and Ricardo. That was close to the end of the race, but... No, honestly, very little happened for the first 55, 60 laps before before then. Yeah, literally nothing. So it's a great highlight, but it's a great throwback. But uh, yeah, it's also interesting, like that that race as well. Like that, that obviously 2016 was the year they decided to, like it just shows how flexible kind of the rules can change as such. Like everyone's never evolving sport because the, the emphasis that the emphasis that ended up being in that year was the whole moving under braking thing. If you remember that, yeah. um, was that's where it started. So, uh, under normal, like the move that remember, the, even the two moves that we saw in USA, even the other week, where it was what was was a the clerk and 
was it Perez or I know Hamilton obviously was one where he moved late a little bit later there under braking there for, for against Verstappen. I can't remember if the other one was Leclerc or Perez moving under braking, but that would have been punished in 2016. You you would got a five second penalty for that. Yeah, and that was the whole Vettel thing back then. Was like it, like he uh, he moved under braking with Ricardo on fresh tires coming at the inside, and got done for it. Uh, so it just shows you how like fluid like F1 can be in terms of its rules application. Yeah. So I guess it's just just, just an interesting, uh, just an interesting, interesting thing to think about when you talk about rules and uh, like how they're applied and that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I've I've nothing else to really say on a three year deal for the Mexico City Grand Prix. Nothing to say about it really. I'm going to waste 183 laps of my life or whatever it is. <laughs> Was it 73 a pop? Or yeah, it's even more 71. So it's, oh, God, two thirteen. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Uh, it was very interesting that actually before the race, Kevin Magnussen spoke about how the 2022 cars might are going to be worse for overtaking at tracks like Mexico, and he was so right. Like I, he was Bob on right. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Uh, he said uh, a track where you got these low speed corners and then long straights. I think this year's car, this year, this new year's car, sorry, this new car is a little bit worse because sleep streaming is less. Yeah. Can we go be thinking about, I guess France in some ways as well. Mm. in that regard uh, obviously not on the calendar next year but lol <laughs> but yeah Magnussen ended up being so right about that I, uh, yeah surprising how it, was a, it, was, it was not a good race no it was not a good race but look it was one that was eventually won by Max Verstappen ahead of Lewis Hamilton with Checo Perez rounding out the podium in third ahead of George Russell in fourth Carlos Sainz leading his teammate uh, Charlie Leclerc for fifth and sixth Daniel Ricciardo finished seventh Esteban Ocon finished eighth Lando Norris ninth and Valtteri Bottas finished tenth. Now I know we've talked about it. I want to see if you remember it. Can you remember the last time Bottas scored points in F one? Canada. Canada, yes. Round seven ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight or eight or seven. And this is round twenty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Upgrades OP basically, Graham. That's what that is. And track position. Yeah, so look, obviously, look, I we talked about kind of before, like this race can throw up a surprise, and we saw Red Bull come and uh, conquer both in seventeen and eighteen when they didn't have the quickest car. The altitude of the track meant that the straight line speed effect that uh, the advantage that Mercedes had in terms of their engines those years was negated, and it's, it was the sense also this this year as well, and just, just the opposite with Red Bull being negated and the Ferrari being negated, so what the Mercedes. Uh, the drag, their car not being as draggy with this and in this altitude, mm. and it genuinely looked like like they, it didn't look just look quick. They did look they look stable too. They had the most stable package out of all the top three teams. Mm-hmm. They did genuinely look like this was their weekend. It genuinely looked like this was their weekend, and they came close in qualifying. And Russell had that mistake at the last sector, and Hamilton said he had oscillations with the engine. Uh, so it genuinely, like, I don't whether it was enough for pole, who knows, but. They obviously locked out the. Uh, they obviously took. Um, they took second and third, with Russell ahead of Hamilton there. So it, it, I genuinely thought that this race was going to break for them. And so did I. Without with, with, with all the tires they started on and the strategy that they were sort of setting themselves up for, I was like, right, this is this is it. And we both said before the race started, right, this is it. Mm. We were mentally prepared for it to happen. <laughs> two things that went away from them that made it meant it didn't happen was that the rebels went on the softs to start and so did ferraris and that I'm, i generally think that extra traction off the line 
helped Verstappen keep his lead into turn one. Yeah. Yeah, that, I think that's what Red Bull were counting on by making that choice. They had to have done. Because if they lost track position, they were not getting past. Because I think... Something strategic. I think every year, bar 2016, I'm not sure about 14 and 15. Uh, yeah. The pole sitter basically hasn't kept it heading down after lap one, essentially. Yeah, well, look at last year. Max was third and took it into, into turn one. Mm-hmm. With that insane move around the outside of both them, both the Mercedes. So, it, it obviously, look, pole here is almost like 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 Russia in the past. Like it's almost a, a detriment to uh to it. But you know, to keep it, and that so obviously, just Red Bull staying ahead of Mercedes was huge, and obviously it helped with Checo with, with Russell as well, who definitely should have got his elbows out a little bit more. Yeah, should have. He was kind of bullied a bit, wasn't he? Yeah, also trying to overtake his teammates sort of fumbled himself, really, but... Yeah, you know. launched himself across the curb a bit. Yeah, just say himself all wrong for the chicane, and did you get that chicane wrong and take the wrong line through it, and someone else is on the correct racing line, it's just a... He's going to get mugged down the second straight, and that's basically what happened. Yeah, Perez got him then through the corners then, and he had to file his way through. Uh, the second thing that kind of got away from them was that their tyre choice really... They, under, they underestimated the tyre wear around this track, and I think they would have expect. I think they expected a one, a two stop from Red Bull, and it just didn't happen. Uh, but Red Bull were believed that they had they had soft medium on their mind before the race even began, and Mercedes' simulations were telling them that that wasn't possible. Yeah, clearly it was. Max was doing. This is an insane stat, by the way. On during Max's medium stim, there was only two laps that he wasn't in the one minute twenty twos, and they were both safety car laps. Virtual safety car laps. Yeah. Which is insane. The tyre, this Pirelli bought too hard of a tyre this weekend, basically, is the whole outcome from this. Yeah, and that's what George Russell said. Uh, they brought the, the tyre, was tyres were too hard. They are the C2, the C3, and the C4. Yeah, it should have been C5, C4, C3. Yeah, absolutely. So it gave Red Bull then an easy one-stop on the mediums. Uh, a tyre that was very consistent. I mean, we know Red Bull are very good in their tyres anyway, but... Yeah, their, their their pace on the softs was was good. It was it was good, uh, better than I thought it was going to be. To be fair, yeah, uh, from what I saw in qualifying and what I'm proud to, people saying them tires don't last a lap. So my max managed to make them last twenty laps. Was it twenty two laps? Something like that. Mm. I think, insane. Yeah, a little, little longer I think, but yeah, and, and, like that was it. Like you know, Mercedes has barely used the medium over the weekend. And they've disrupted a kind of weekend for them practice wise because they had Nick DeVries I think in the car uh, for FP one. And then they obviously FP2, they had the Pirelli running then for 23 compounds for half an hour as well. And so they didn't have as much information on the, the tyre that they, they should have obviously gotten. And they just underestimated the medium tyre. Like, and I think they should have been a bit more adaptable. It's easy to say, of course, but they certainly should have been a little bit more adaptable to what was happening because both drivers were saying that the tyre is good. Russell was questioning whether they wanted like, you know, to medium to, so- to soft. Which ended Which, up being the right strategy. Yeah. I, I don't know why they split. They didn't split. I really don't. Lewis to cover off Perez? Fair enough. Makes sense. Maintain the position for P2. But try something different with the other driver. Why not? You've got nothing to... At worst, you're finishing fourth at the end of the day. The Ferraris are nowhere. Yeah. So what? What? all they did was finish fourth. For us all. It was pointless. Yeah. I, I don't... left him out and tried to hold Max up to get losing DRS. 
I don't understand because like we we literally left the Netherlands and talked about uh, like Total Wolf talked about like wanting to go for the win rather than settling for whatever podium or whatever was essentially what he said like like we want to go for it but what they've been doing has like and we saw it last you know last weekend as well with the US Grand Prix and they they chose the hards there as well and had a chance to win that and, and obviously went away from them too so like and heck Bonotto was talked about how like both both Bonotto and Horner publicly questioned or publicly commented that Mercedes probably could have won both of those races or this there they had you know they didn't get the strategy right essentially they should have won one of these races yeah they really the, should the have. Mercedes the Mercedes of 2020 would have won one of these races it's, it's almost like they forgot how to how to do a normal strategy or win a race it's very strange very very strange there was a, actually it's it's great that you mentioned that because there was, uh, Ben Anderson for the race wrote about Mercedes' strategy stuff um you know, uh, yeah, this is this is the excerpt from Ben Anderson. Mercedes has at times appeared conservative and too rigid in its strategy choices, particularly in the season since its early hybrid dominance, when it's had to consider what others are doing rather than simple, simply focusing on not inadvertently favouring one of Hamilton or Nico Rosberg in an internal struggle. And that, like they could, they could have done, they, they could have done whatever they wanted essentially back back then. And just they just had mm. they had to keep both the same because. Obviously, with the, with the how the rivalry was, and like one team favoring another driver, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which a lot of people still believe they, people still believe they favored Rosberg anyways, which I think is complete nonsense. And but, uh, and, and and vice versa, I don't think they essentially did, uh, favored Hamilton either. No, you know that's the thing they they did try and make it as fair as possible. Yeah, in, in my eyes, it was. You know, they did try to make it as fair as possible, and they, heck, we saw even last year at Bottas like. There's a couple of times that Bottas wanted to go like on a soft, a more aggressive strategy, and they didn't want to do that because they didn't want to, they didn't want to run the two cars on different strategies. They've, they've shown a pattern of not wanting to run different strategies. Uh, you know, they 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 do what they do, and they have the simulations, so they stick to those simulations, and that's it. They it does it feels like they don't exactly adapt to what's happening on like on the day sometimes, and that. The simulations are the simulations. We're going to go by that. And that's it. Yeah. Ignore what everybody's saying on track and what you can see other people doing. Just work off what we know. Which is nine times out of ten the right thing to do. But in this scenario, they've got nothing to really lose except second in the constructors, which is a big ask as it is anyway. But... They could secure this second place in the constructors if they made these bold choices to go. They, Toto even said before the race started to Sky that they were going to go and be going to go into this race and be aggressive. But they said the same last week in USA, and it just didn't happen. They they reacted when I don't think I I personally think they should have just left Lewis out. He was in clear air, did not need to react to Checo. He was perfectly fine where he was. Let them run their race. You run your race. They, they they would have won that race, I, th- I think. Or would have been at least in DRS to at least amount of challenge. Mm. I actually argue they... I actually think they would be better off not finishing second. Yeah, so do I. So do I. Take the extra win on time. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the better plan long term. But obviously, 
for the, the public eye, you want to be seen as finishing at least runner-up. But mm. yeah, so it's not a complete failure. But yeah, they've been absolutely walled. But you know, <laughs> seven-time champion, eight-time constructors champion. Sorry, mm. I yeah. I don't think I think. It turned out, I think, Verstappen had, I think, had the measure on Hamilton. I think he would have been... I think it would have been close, but I think a couple of tenths quicker, perhaps. So I, I, still, th- I still see USA as the one they lost out more so than this one. Yeah, yeah. Just with the way the circumstance went and, like, the gap that Verstappen had to make up. And cause he, he didn't have the track position in USA. He did have it in 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 mexico and obviously he had the big thing like he, he got himself like he kept himself in front to start that was that was the big thing yeah so i, I see usa more as their missed chance with that with the tires there uh, i think it certainly would have been much much closer had uh had they selected the mediums i do think they had to be worried of checo a little bit i know he had the slow pit stop i do think they had to be worried a bit because his pace was very good it was checo's uh, it was it was like i said they should have split he's there's it's lots of lots of different variations of this, but splitting probably would have been the right move. Yeah, I think so. Um, but that was really it. Like that was that's what ultimately decided the race. Really, like between keeping ahead on lap one and the tire choice. Then, and obviously, look, Stafford does a lot of credit as well for managing that those tires as well. Like it was a, it was a hefty old stint. Oh yeah, in the, in the temperatures that they were and the altitude that they're at, it's it's not the easiest job. For all the drivers, never mind just Max. You say the temperatures, but here's the thing: both Verstappen and Perez were actually told of multiple occasions at times during that race that their te- the tires were on the cool side. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I heard that in commentary. It's, it's strange, that, which is it? bizarre. Which again goes back to Pirelli and their cho- the choice of tire there. Yeah, bravo, bravo. So, like, imagine, like, I, that's I. So often we hear about tires overheating, but I've not heard sometimes that. And heck, like this is like Perez was like for, like for stopping in clear air, whatever you could say, whatever about that. But like Perez was about for a lot of that race, like one point five, one point seven behind Hamilton. Like he was in somewhat turbulent air. Yeah, he was. He was for a good chunk of that. I'd say at least sixty percent of that race. Yeah. Uh, do we think he would have got past if they had hadn't had the slow pit stop? I'd have pissed it. He'd have pissed it, I think. He'd have undercut Lewis ages ago. Wouldn't have even been a question. Yeah, I, I think we've had Because that undercut was way more powerful than people expected. I think me, me and you both are surprised at how powerful it actually was. Do you think Mercedes missed a trick with Russell, at least, to pit Russell uh, to get him ahead of Perez after that pit stop? They probably did, yeah. they. I think they slept on that one. I would have bought Russell straight in if that was me. But obviously... I don't think they were on it on it strategy wise yesterday. So yeah, yeah, I know. I, I yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they were caught. They were caught slacking and napping to an extent. And mm. it's probably it's. I think it's certainly cost them one of two wins here. I, I, I again, what do you, at least a double podium. Yeah, at least. certainly. Uh, they certainly missed a trick with that one. Yeah, uh, but like that was really it. Like in terms of like actually defining who actually won won the race like it, it was very much a straightforward race so it was just hop into winners and losers very quickly obviously look Verstappen with the victory obviously record-breaking 14th win in a season uh yep. I believe the percentage I think is 70 
Yeah, it's, it's not the, quite the highest percentage. It's 72, yet. I believe, is Schumacher's percentage from 04. Vettel, I think, is 68. Yeah, and I think he's got to win at least one more to beat that record. I... Also beat the uh, points total as well. Yeah, Lewis. that's right. 416 is the number he has now. Well, I, the number of actually was from 19. I actually thought it was going to be from 14, especially with the double points. But I guess with Rosberg taking points off of Hamilton, they never got, it never reached the height that it did. It was 19 where he had the most points in the season. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, that was, I thought that was interesting as well uh, from that point of view. But yeah, like for Zappen, he said afterwards he didn't really care for the, the stats and that kind of thing. I would. That'd be the only thing I'd race for at that point. <laughs> I mean, a certain. I think you reach a certain point in your career, you probably do just end up racing for that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Don't think Max, Max is that type of guy, though. Yeah, it apart, doesn't, from, doesn't the, apart like from wins, podiums, and titles and Grand Slams, that's. I don't I think that, I don't think he really cares about the rest. Yeah, or winning the Dutch Grand Prix. That's about it. Yeah, titles and wins. I think is really what I think he really cares about at this stage. He's, he's, he yeah. kind of talk about how he like, kind of prefers just to live in the moment. Yeah, which is fair. Like, there's plenty of time for reflection after your, your career is done. Yeah. Or just look in a mirror. <laughs> I thought it was interesting, like, the contrast between, like, Verstappen's answer and, like, obviously, we, this is, we had, there's a little bit of, like, Alonso Hamilton's kind of spatter over this kind of thing. Feels like Hamilton cares a lot more about numbers and that kind of thing than Verstappen oh, does. He does. He does. He really does. But that he's at a different stage of his career, so. Very true. Very yeah. true. Um, but, yeah, look, for, look, so, like, there was a comment that mentioned that there isn't a race that Verstappen hasn't won. Like, there isn't a circumstance that a race Verstappen hasn't won essentially this year, be it from different grid positions, uh, wet conditions, tire management. You know, he has really kind of ticked all those boxes this year. Yeah, the only one he hasn't really ticked is last to first. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, honestly, honestly, think he should do it in Abu Dhabi. It'd be funny. <laughs> Like if the if the Belgium Grand Prix didn't have so many grid penalties, like he would have been obviously further back than he would have uh, than he would have yeah. started. Like he obviously started P fourteen the end, but obviously he would have been further back if like half the grid essentially were take, or a third of the grid were taking penalties. So like, and he still, I think he still would have won, won the, would have won that race regardless. He was on he was on line six after lap ten. <laughs> I know it's a long lap, but <laughs> he basically pissed through all the back markers within ten laps. Yeah, so like I think he could have won though from the back from that race. Easily, easily. But yeah, fair play. Like, you know, 14 race wins. you got a chance to get 15, 16. Um, does he have... 15 will be it. Yeah. No, that'll, that'll be the record, I think. You I think? Don't, I don't see him winning both. So... I just, we just see Mercedes winning one. Okay. I think their best chance is gone. The altitude I, I do. does play a part in Brazil, but not quite as much. Yeah. And that track has become power dependent as well. Yeah. That's Red Bull's ninth win in a row as a constructor as well, by the way. That's insane. Uh, it had to go, it's got to be Austria then, hasn't it? It's, it's Austria is the last time a different constructor won a race. Yeesh. Yeah. Should have been a lot sooner than that, but, you know, Ferrari, Ferrari. And Mercedes and Mercedes. Yeah, whatever. Honestly, I could see McLaren winning a race before Ferrari or Mercedes. <laughs> or yeah, at this stage. Uh, so yeah obviously winning for them obviously they've got both championships uh, secured now and obviously Checo Perez quicker for Checo Perez I think he, I thought he had a good weekend to be fair and he, had, he had those issues in qualifying the electrical issues he didn't uh, yeah he didn't he had to uh, break bias with like a lot of this display like the display I think wasn't quite working as it should or he didn't know his brake balance and 
all this kind yeah, of wasn't working and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So he had a lot of uh, issues to overcome. What he has the one thing I I would need to look up his average qualifying position, but big improvement overall. Like, despite those issues, like an issue like that last year, and heck, even we didn't even have issues last year. He could have qualified seventh or eighth. Like you know, it was an issue last season. I know he's got a stronger car, but he has even the weekends where it hasn't gone quite as well. Like with problems that have arisen, he's still been able to put together better qualifyings this year than previous like he's for example he's still a qual- he's not qualifying six for example you know for in these in these three car scraps yeah he's, he's just more comfortable isn't he so there was that patch in the middle of the season where he sort of dropped off a little bit but well since i want to say monza really sort of seems to have got by to grips with the car the work he did over the summer break seems to have paid off so it's good good to see and he deserves it Exactly the same podium as last year as well, by the way, from Mexico. Yeah, and the margins exactly are very similar same. too. Yeah, exactly the same order. It's very, very, uh, well, typical Mexico, I'm going to say. <laughs> like you'd Verstappen out front by about 10, 15 seconds or whatever, and you had Perez chasing Hamilton. Yeah. He I couldn't go past. Yeah. He would have got, I think he would have got past. Obviously, the pit stop had been a bit better for them. They obviously, it was a five-second stop, and Perez has had like the quickest stops this season. Yeah, that's that's the first bad one he's had in a while. You know, while. so he's probably, I guess he was due in some some regard, but... Yeah, two bad pit stops in the road for Red Bull, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, a little bit concerning now, I'm sure they'll be working on that. Obviously, the Verstappen one was rougher than the Perez one. But uh, I, I generally thought, he had, like, obviously, the Mercedes were quite slow on their warm-up, and Perez sensed it, but just couldn't get within DRS, and... This and this is the this is the the thing that would you'd argue against the two stop later on, like you know, depending where the Red Bull would do the two stop. At Mexico, traffic is bad. It's it's really bad. Like it's oh, it's rough. Really you bad. lose a lot of time in traffic here if you're a car chasing another car near the front, and that's what Checo did. And then just lost a bit too much time, too much, and he was getting some of that time back, but just it it, it swelled to about three seconds, four seconds, and. You know, it was tough to make up from that point. So it, it was rough. Like traffic, that's why you do the one stop if you can. Like you just don't want to really run into that because like a lot of cars that do be gaggled up in the midfield. Like there was a, like it's not just usually one car. It's, it could be three, sometimes four. It just adds so much time if you're you know if you're factoring. It's time you don't really factor into a two stop. Just the traffic you just come up against and lose time there. Yeah. And obviously, like Perez, obviously chased the Ferraris as well uh, on those mediums as well. Yeah, he, he, I think he overdrove the car a bit too early instead of just easing the tyres in and obviously trying to make up time for what he lost in the pits. But yeah, yeah, it's it's not not great, but it, it made the most of it. And still got a podium. Yeah, he did well. Like he, and the big thing for him that he moves ahead of uh, Charlie Leclerc by five points in the for second. Red Bull trying to secure one two in the drivers' championship, which they've never they've never done before. Yeah. So five points there. I think that probably helped probably now with Mercedes more in the fold after their upgrades. Yeah, definitely has. So that will help them in their battle with the clerk, I think. Battle? Yeah, battle for second place. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> uh, Trying to hit me while I'm down, Graham. <laughs> would you throw, like, where would you put Mercedes as winners of the weekend? Because I feel like in some ways they were, but... They let the race again kind of get away from them, strategy-wise, as you've as kind of talked about. I have them down as a winner in terms of where they finished. But in terms of, like we said, the strategy-wise, they would be a loser because, like I said, they should have at least had a double podium here. At mm. least. They they missed a big opportunity here. But saying that, 
considering where they was at the start of the season, I think they'll take it. If they if they can secure second, considering they're probably not going to win a race, that would be very impressive. And considering the Ferrari was the fastest car for at least up till Spain, it's uh, and has been miles quicker than Mercedes all season. You say up till Craig. Spain, you could make an argument till Hungary. You could, but it ebbed and flowed after Spain. The Ferrari was the dominant car until Spain. After that, it was it, it, it depended where we was. Mm, fair. Yeah, yeah, I'm with uh, you. They didn't, they definitely should have had a double podium here, and they did run their new front wing. There, they took they took those spokes off the front of it, so, but they still yeah. they still ran. So they so that part was fine. Uh, again, they seem to have definitely made a step with that upgrade between uh, USA and obviously this front wing here. Uh, obviously the Altitude, I think, definitely helped them with their drag issues not being as prevalent, which is certainly something to consider uh, for their performance. Because and, and the drivers admitted, as like Russell discussed as much, like he literally t- like he literally said that the the altitude, the, the car is less draggy. So, <laughs> so like that literally was part of the reason why they were a bit stronger in the air uh, for their pace. So we'll see how that translates to Brazil. I'm more interested to see their pace in Abu Dhabi more than anything else. I guess I guess more of a I don't want to say a normal circuit, but close to the close to a normal circuit, a normal, I guess, altitude. Yeah, Brazil was different. Brazil just yeah, I I forgot it was sprint weekend as well. Yeah, that's right. God, uh, people are getting too excited about Mercedes being only forty points behind uh, uh, Ferrari. That's a big gap to overcome. Two races, like, but, yeah. Like... But it's saying that it's Ferrari, so you never know. You got escorted by twenty in the last two races, which isn't happening unless like there's a double retirement or something or of the sort. Mm. So yeah. I don't know. I think that's. I think people are getting a little bit far ahead of themselves with that one. They're trying to make a race where there's not. Mm. Uh, who else do you have as a winner of the weekend? Then I only have two. Mm-hmm. So Daniel Ricciardo. About bloody time we saw the Daniel of old. Very circumstantial mind, but. Made the most of it, despite being very clumsy when trying to overtake Sonoda. After watching the replay several times, are you sure probably... it was circumstantial? Because I think this was less circumstantial than, say, Singapore. It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. He was on the right strategy, where everybody else wasn't. Is what I'm basically saying. He was. He did the correct strategy, which was mediums to soft, and he. Everybody else was on hard tires, and he just pissed past them. Did you see the uh, clip of him pointing the gun at the t- at the Alpine in front of him? Before he overtakes it. No, it is actually. Yeah. He's it, just coming up to the start finish line, and you just see him lift his fingers up as a gun and make a gun shave with his fingers. <laughs> Tilts it back, and then he's basically overtaking the two Alpines. It's great. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, it's two for one. I forgot about that. Yeah. Well, when one car's only got up to seven gears, Graham, then mm. yeah, it's pretty pretty easy overtake. And do you know what? Not the first time he's done that this season. No. Didn't he not. nail? Didn't he nail both of them in Hungary? He did. Oof. Because of some, because they were too busy. Because Ocon was still busy, yeah, uh, trying to defend air. Uh, yeah, Ricardo. Yeah, you say like you say circumstantial. Like he obviously made the tires last forty-five laps, the mediums. Yeah. But even after that, he just seemed to be a better place on racing than Norris. Like he he came out despite Norris having undercut, having pitted earlier than him. He still came out only a couple of seconds behind Norris on track, did Ricardo. Yeah, them hots were bad though. So them hots are really bad. They were bad, but he was clearly quite happy in the yeah. car, which definitely has not been the case for a lot of the season. So, definitely a Ricardo drive of old certainly shows that he still 
still has it. If, if people doubt it, they He's didn't have it. it. Yeah. yeah. He, he just hasn't had the comfortable, comfortability in the car. And he said that himself. This is the first time in a long time he's felt comfortable where he can lead on the car. So, and it, it, it showed because he was just the only person that seemed to overtake anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, the, the messy one with Sonoda. I don't think he he didn't plan to over, make that overtake. The gap opened up, and that would help Snowden actually use his mirrors a bit. Um, yeah, it was a bit of both, wasn't it? It's a fair, Daniel yeah, penalty probably, was fair. Yeah, Daniel probably stuck his nose in there, but if you leave the door open, the drivers are going to chuck the nose in at the end of the day. Yeah. So, yeah, and then Yuki turned in thinking he wouldn't do it, but Daniel obviously didn't want to follow him through the uh, S's, because I definitely wouldn't. No, and like, you, you, like Perez, there's a lot of pain with Perez, uh, behind the Ferraris in that section as well, and he always had he always tried to have a little go at. I can't remember which Ferrari it was, but tried to go before into the Ferrisol. Yeah, like it was that he was that slow, like they were that slow behind in sector two there. So you really don't want to be caught behind. I just I understand why he went for it, and it did. Like I like we've seen we've seen driver have those squabbles through there as well. Uh, it is a tough one. The corner does close off a little bit, but uh, like he went for it, got the penalty, and. Still pissed him. Made up for it, no? He finished ten. He finished twelve seconds ahead of Ocon in the end to keep seventh place. So again, not the first time Ricardo got a penalty and made up for it to keep a position. Yep. So yeah, fair play. He got himself a a handy P seven on a day where you know it was good for McLaren to outscore Alpine with what happened to Alonso. The the gap now is just uh, just six seven points in Alpine's favor. So, yeah, both well for the last few races. Uh, Norris then finished in ninth, pick up a few extra points. So, yeah, Norris did, like, a pretty anonymous weekend for Norris, to be fair. Yeah, it wasn't great. It was, I thought it wasn't great. It just wasn't, just wasn't either way. That's why I had him in meh. Yeah, just either way. Like, he didn't, like, he didn't say anything on the radio really after after the race either. either. Uh, Just, yeah, yeah, just kind of there, really. But, yeah. Daniel Ricciardo, excellent drive from him, driver of the day. Uh, yeah, the, the Snowden thing was unfortunate, but uh, he got the 10-second penalty and made up for it. So, peace, peace mm-hmm. out. That's definitely, by far, his best race of the season, even though he's finished higher in Singapore. Yeah, yeah, easily the driver this season. Mm. Uh, who else do you have as a winner of the weekend? Valtteri Bottas. Ah. Not because of... I have him there because he scored points, not because of where he finished. If you know what I mean, he should have finished a lot higher. He should, but he got yeah. screwed. He got screwed. But yeah, that car's made steps forward, which which is good for the team. Obviously, like we said earlier on in the podcast, not scored points since Canada. We've been banging on that drum for the last few weeks. Uh, finally, breaks that duct and uh, picks up what two points? Just just one and tenth. Oh, he finished tenth, did he? Oh dear. Just about. <laughs> Gasly was about to have him as well. Yeah, Gasly was on the sauce, right? He was. Yeah, that's like I said, the hards were not good. Yeah, that's and if anybody anybody who switched onto the softs was on the right tire at that end, and it was three seconds a lap at some points. It, it was ridiculous. But yeah, should have been a lot more. I, I would, I think they would have been happy with eighth, but yeah, tenth. I guess they'll take it. But at the end of the day, should have been more. Yeah, because they started sixth, <laughs> the head of yeah. the clerk. A surprise save. Very, a surprise is fixed for sure. Very big surprise, um, but yeah, now the lapping qualifying. So, yeah, kind of lost a bit of track position early on to Alonso, and 
looked like he had the measure of Alonso on the mediums. Like he, he did look like he was a bit quicker, stuck behind in that air, and then yeah, just the pace just fell away. I think they'll be happy they did gain an extra point on over Aston Martin this weekend, but I feel like it, it probably felt it should have been a bit more. Yeah. So. But- they're on the right path. So. Definitely. Like, the upgrades they brought to USA, is de- you could definitely see the difference. Like, again, both cars should have made through the Q3 then. Uh, Bottas, excellent qualifying in uh, in Mexico. Got points. So, it, it is important. Like, each point will be important, especially with two races left. They do have a they do have a very narrow lead. I think it's four points. Sorry, I said just the drivers. They do have a... A four-point lead, yes, fifty-three to forty-nine. So everything, little, every every bit helps. And yeah, it's disappointing not to be more, but in a sense, they could have easily lost it there to Gasly at the end. That would have been even worse. Yeah. So yeah, I'm with you. Like they, the pace is strong, especially in qualifying. I don't. Yeah, well, yeah race pace seems to be a little bit, a bit worse off. But yeah, yeah, Bottas just to get him back on the scoreboard. I agree. Like just get first points in his Canada. He's had a fairly anonymous season since then. I know their car hasn't been as up to it since since that since that point. But yeah, certainly a, a big point for Bottas, and I'm sure look paid to build on for Brazil. I'm sure that there's no reason to think they probably won't be in the mix again for Q3 in Brazil. Mm, definitely will be. Mm. Uh, I'll give a winning weekend to Fernando Alonso. Yes, yes. Uh, for his for his quality drive, that was again. Uh, for, robbed for nothing essentially a very comfortable p p7 for him best of the rest uh excellent again made up the place on bottas excellent pace well outpaced his teammate and then apparently a, a very old school kind of uh failure he lost a cylinder apparently yeah that's a bizarre one isn't it we don't see many cylinders being lost in this uh v6 hybrid era but he lost one or didn't have eight couldn't even get up to eight gear lost multiple seconds per lap uh, Ricardo and Ocon just absolutely whizzed by him, and then uh, and, yeah, that was it. And then pull off, then uh, at turn one, and yeah, race was over. And his body language, and I, I think he's. There are some drivers that you know you get to this point of the season, and they're ready for the season to be over. We talked about it last year that Daniel Ricardo was ready for the season to end. And I can't help but feel Alonso is, he's already drawing one line under the sand here with his Alpine career. I think he's very, you know, in his comments and the such, I think he's beginning now to focus more so for uh, his his next chapter. It's, I think he's, I, I, he won't, he'll keep pushing, I'm sure. But yeah, I think, uh, I think he's officially fed up. Well, he will be because Ocon scored points again. So it's great. Yeah, and his comments afterwards, he, he is very frustrated. Car 14 stopped. For car 14, there are always reliability issues. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird, isn't it? The only time Ocon's not really done well with reliability that comes to mind is Singapore. So Yeah, well, I think he's only had two retirements as Ocon. I think Alonso is like... Six? Mm. I, was, I was reading it. Did he, not, did he not take the start in Austria? No, he didn't, did he? I, I'd, I'd completely forgotten about that. Yeah. <laughs> Com- I completely forgot. He actually never even got to start the race in Austria. Yeah, he, he started the sprint, but didn't start the actual... Yeah. Yeah. Didn't he finish, like... Wasn't he, like... Did he, wasn't he quite high in the, in the in that as well? I can't tell you. Couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I I, I want, he was in front of the Hasses, I want to say. I know. They were fairly high up. Yeah, I remember that little scrap, actually. 
Um, I'll have to have a look at that. But he said, uh, my level is at the highest of the season at the moment and the results and the standings at the end will be one of the lowest. So it's a bit frustrating, but there's nothing I can do. Um, and he said, so apparently this is his third engine-related failure in seven races since the summer break. Rough. And he said, I think I lost 60 points this year. So we added there are six. So it's around 66. And, it's all, and obviously all the other benefits, so everyone scores two more than what they should. It's just amazing that only one... Uh, only one or two cars retire every race and it's always car 14 I've blown up five engines I think this year plus the problem in Australia in qualifying and Australia didn't even take the start because there was a blackout so I think in 19 races more or less 50% we didn't score points we deserved nothing we can do now yeah deflated as hell yeah and he said I think we're underprepared the engine cannot finish races it can't be bad luck when you change six or seven engines as we did and we're still not finishing races I think they have some they have some job to do next winter. Hopefully, not too much. Like I can't, I can't reference him that he's not going to be there. Essentially, yeah. uh, often I sat in there, I was trying to say like it's you know trying to cool it a little bit like you know uh, to the engine issue. We don't have the same people. We don't have the same people preparing an Esteban engine or a Fernando engine. They'll mix around. He said uh, the probability of this happening isn't zero, so it can happen, but it is lower to always happen on one side or the other. I think it's the luck of the draw. Um, it's not impossible, then. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> uh, uh, Alonso was asked, you know, about the race in Brazil. Uh, he said, I, or he's asked how his car would do in Brazil in the race in the next two weeks. Alonso's answer further strengthened the feeling that he is keen for the season to end. I don't care, he said. I'll just go there, drive as fast as I can, go to Abu Dhabi, celebrate with the team our last race, and then fly back home. <laughs> Good. Uh, this is all. This is from the race uh, and Scott Mitchell, ma'am, talking about Alonso's frustration hitting a new peak. I understand, like you know, again, he's going to finish the season behind Ocon, it seems, uh, who gained another four points on him this weekend, and he's definitely lost. Like I know he was exaggerating earlier this season, but sixty-six points does sound about right at this stage. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's it is it is pretty brutal. Uh, but apparently he's set to do uh, the Abu Dhabi test for Aston Martin afterwards the tyre test yeah I saw that so a couple of drivers game released early to do that Uh, him him being one and Nick DeVries will be there Pierre Gasly will be at Alpine so people are some people are feeling generous uh, with that I don't know if Oscar Piastri is so no I don't think he is (laughs) Uh, so yeah again they don't want to select of you can tell which drivers are um, being granted some favours or being given what they probably feel is owed to them but yeah. uh, Piastri not being not being one of them no uh, do you have any other winners of the weekend? I have nothing for that to be honest Graham I have two more losers and then I'm pretty much I have no thoughts on anybody else mm. I'll give a quick one to Alex Albon what as a winner or a mess? as a winner of the weekend definitely um, started towards the back of the grid got to P12 in the race yeah, lapped his teammate as well. La- yeah, okay. apparently the TV had some damage on the car. What's that? <laughs> the goat can't have damage. Uh, so there was that, and apparently the TV was used to help hold some people up. <laughs> apparently as well. What a, what a good excuse that is to make him not look shit. But he, look, yes. he finished P12 at Albon. He made some good ground. Uh, finished ahead of Joe, the Aston Martins, the Hasses, which all of which he started behind. Oh, well, yeah. 
Sorry, he wouldn't, he wouldn't start behind Stroll, I believe, but... He was, he was just... That, it's that car being suited to the straight lines and people not being able to get past and stuff. It, it was a very track-position-dependent track race. Uh, it's, I'm, incl I'm inclined to... I'm less inclined to agree this time, just because normally in those circumstances, they've made it through to Q3 and or Q2 and sometimes even Q3. Yeah, I suppose. Well, they were knocked out and clean in Q1 this time. Yeah, they were. So, Which was surprising because he looked good in practice, sorry. He did. So, yeah, fair play to him. Yeah, quick one there for Alex Albon finishing P12 then. Hmm. Um, kind of the mayors in between, like, you know, you'd have your Pierre Gasly's. Um, would you? Hey? I wouldn't. I, I think he's in between there. Uh, no, loser, get banned. <laughs> well, he's close. Yeah, he's, he's got 10 points. He only got one point in the end yeah. for that. Uh, but he's got okay. 10 Uh which they're detailed here on the race.com from Scott Mitchell, ma'am. Uh, two in from Spain with a collision with uh, Stroll. Two in Austria with a collision with Vettel. Another penalty in Austria for leaving the track without a justifiable reason. Uh, leaving the track without a justifiable reason multiple times, so track limits. Two in Japan for speeding under red flag conditions, obviously with the, yeah, red, the, the, the rain there. Two in USA for falling 10 or more cars behind a safety car. And one in Mexico for uh, another Aston Martin infringement for forcing Vettel or forcing Stroll off the track and gaining an advantage. Yeah. So he's got 10 points, 12 being the limit for a race ban. He's got to wait till Spain next season, essentially 12 months, which is basically like May. Yeah, Spain isn't in May anymore. Is it in June? Isn't, oh, so it's even, yeah. But, 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 you know, but. Yeah, he's got to wait till Monaco, basically. 12 so, months uh, from when he got it, essentially. Yeah, which is. Uh, not going to be easy on the streak he's going on. No. Honestly, I would get myself two points in Brazil and just take the race ban in Abu Dhabi for what it is. You know what I mean? Just so I, he yeah. doesn't get race banned for LP. I completely agree with you. <laughs> it just, you know what I mean? Just give Red Bull the opportunity to chuck like Lawson in there to shore him up before they send him packing off to whatever, to supercars, whatever he's going to do. Um, Don't you reason? Then, Why not? I suppose, actually, yeah. There is that. He's going to be there in Abu Dhabi, so... Yeah, I, I, I thought that yesterday. Why, do, why am I saying Lawson? Yeah, <laughs> it'd probably be De Vries, yeah. It makes sense. Interesting. Mm. I agree. Before. I agree. I think he, they should definitely get done before next season. <laughs> I don't think Red Bull and Alfa Tauri would be happy about it, but I think... Do they care at this hard. point? Like, it's not as if Gasly's been nice to them, really. No. No, I, 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 yeah, it would be interesting to see a driver banned, it really would. And like, I know Vettel and Hamilton have come close, but I never thought they were actually going to get the 12, but it's just a lot, like, it's, like, it's five, six, like five or six races between now and losing some of those points. I think it's, I think it's inevitable. And in, in the midfield too? Yeah. What do you mean? I mean they're going to be in front. <laughs> they hope. <laughs> Anyways, uh... Do I have any other winners of the weekend? Not particularly. I guess one of you move on to Mez, you throw Ferrari top of straight to the top of Meh. Yeah. Just from what AMUS were reporting, I sent this to you or texted this over to you. Uh, Ferrari realised they were running the wrong setup when they got into Q1. So bravo. And then just turned the engines down once they were clear of the pack in uh, the actual race. So yeah, good one. Still finished fifth and sixth, obviously, but. Yeah, not much more to really say on it. It was just a throwaway weekend. 
Yeah, they were very anonymous in the race. They just had each other for company, essentially. I would even say that. Science had the measure of Leclerc. Ah. They, yeah, he, he qualified ahead. I don't, like I, they, Their race ran very similar to last year. I know they swapped the cars around but at the end of last year in Mexico, but they can't just let them alone, really. and just There's no point squabbling with each other. Just Think about Plan C. Yeah, okay, what's that going to do? <laughs> You're 40 seconds back. Yeah, Russell had a free stop in the end to make for fastest lap. Yeah, which is really bad considering that. Like I said earlier on, the car was the fastest at one point. Yeah. And I know, I know it was turned down, but that is a big gap. Big, big gap. Mm. Uh, Leclerc was as optimistic that this just a once-off. And if, 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 what, if what you're saying and the reporting of that is true, then it, sh- it should just be a one-off. Who reported again, Graham? AMUS. Haha, <laughs> finally, you did it. <laughs> How dare you put me on the spot like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, nothing else for you to say about them. Uh, throwing a meh for... I was I was gonna say both the Haas boys, they just didn't really I didn't really see them comment on them to be honest. They they were where they were, the, where the car should have been, I felt. Sixteen, seventeen. Yeah. Didn't really show me anything that made me go, yeah, they should be higher. Yeah, pace wasn't there, but I do think probably they could have been held by Schumacher getting through the Q two as he should have. Yeah, that was a bit of a bit of a bad it was a good lap for the the lab that got deleted. It was a good lap, yeah. Very good lab. And then obviously yeah. He got deleted. Got so. myself knocked out, but yeah, it doesn't, doesn't it? Just those little things that don't help him. Do you know what I mean? Like, you could be doing those little things that help, and even if the car is not great now, but... Just, just to get into Q2 would have, been, would have been decent enough, I thought, of him, but mm. not. Uh, and Joe, I'd say, put in the middle, because I think they definitely used him to help, trying to help Bottas' race a bit. Yeah, yeah. In turn, probably made it worse, but yeah. Um, I guess we should have a word for Sonoda, who was, like... We don't know if he could have scored points, but he was in 11th when the incident happened. Yeah, he, he could, got Gasly coloured quite easily, I thought. So, you know, he could have had a chance. He definitely was, yeah, he definitely was the better of the two between himself and Gasly. And that's been the case for a few, a few races now again. Yeah, ever since Gasly's frustration started coming out, really. Yeah. I think, I think, the thing with Gasly is, I think he, like, I, we talked about it earlier in the year, like, with him kind of showing his frustration that, like, at situations I think he probably he probably reined it in a bit because he probably thought it was getting too much and now that he's leaving I think he's I think he's just released it all again essentially yeah he just doesn't care I'm not going to be here next year I don't care who I upset yeah I do wish he was handling how he was you know it's it's alright saying these things just don't say in public yeah I wish he was handling it a little bit better yeah just do it do it in the garage whatever friendly frustrations that's fine but they probably don't need to hear it yeah, it's um, just not very professional. Yeah, I don't like the only real losers I have are Aston Martin, just because you know I had Vettel in there, by the way, as well. Nah, uh, I I disagree from the fact that he's been unhappy all weekend with the car. He got knocked down in Q one as well. Was, but it, his his race wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be. He was sort of in the mix. They were dying for a safety car. Yeah, well, I think I think everyone was at some point. How long did he leave him on softs again? 40 laps <laughs> <laughs> they were trying but basically it was a me it was a medium tire so it's about right <laughs> yeah true uh just more so from the view that you know they they were generally the quick the fourth quickest car it seemed in austin and went straight oh, no. to get knocked down in q1 i know straw had the penalty from the last week but even he was knocked down in q1 regardless so yeah they were back down to wave place which is uh, yeah 
not good in then considering Alfa Romeo were sixth on the grid with one car. It's not 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 great, is it? Yeah, very interested to see how those two teams get on in Brazil because it's it's yeah make or break. I think I think they'll both do well to be fair, but yeah, we'll get onto that next week. Yeah, like again, like I don't, I don't really have any other losers apart from like again Alonso's misfortune. Uh, we didn't really talk about Ocon at all, or yeah, I guess we don't need to talk about that fraud. We really <laughs> don't. Honestly, the the fact that he's going to outscore Alonso pisses me off in the north. Really does. <laughs> yeah, his his race was fine. Uh, just... Yeah, no, you you can't fault him for what he did in the race. It, nothing against him in that respect. It's more the point of come on, this guy's been that shafted. It's making him look good. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's making him look better than what he actually is. Yeah, which is mediocre. Which Medi- is why he's constantly in the mech category. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, any other... Th- oh, yeah, we should mention... I should give a winner of the weekend for Max Verstappen uh, for boycotting Sky Sports. Yes, yes. Thank you, Max. Someone has finally done it with their... Uh, I want to say biased views. It was just biased comments, shall we say. It is, uh, yeah. You can't say it, it hasn't been coming. It has. It's been coming. It, it wasn't just Sky England either. It was uh, Sky and Sky Germany. That's what they said. I don't believe that. I think they're. Yeah, I actually don't believe them when they say that. I, I, because they talked about just one particular person, and we know that person, Ted Kravitz. Yeah. So he, I, Max walked past him. In the, did you see in the clip where Max walked past him? No, I didn't see actually. Yeah, completely blanks him, <laughs> and Ted's face just drops. <laughs> Was that, a, was that a notebook or is that? I don't know when it was, but yeah, it was beyond the pits. So. Yeah, I actually don't think it's anything to do with Sky Germany or Sky Italy. Uh, yeah, I don't, but the entire team boycotted and Perez. Yeah, Horner, Perez, them. none of them. I hope they do it all for the rest of the season, to be honest, to force Sky's hand. I think so too, because like we've talked about all season, how unobjective and un, like unbiased that they are. Sorry, how objective and biased they are. Um, all season long, there's little jabs here and there, and uh, you know, the, the constant Mercedes framing of questions like, What was that race where the VSC came out? and like, we're talking about, Do they need to change the VSC? When, like, when was this? Where was this conversation? Like, when, like, during when every time Hamilton benefit or Rosberg or Bottas benefit from a VSC that got them a free pit stop, or whatever the case was, like, it was their agendas are very, very clear. And if you see that in their written work as well, their written articles, it's all. Is much predominantly Mercedes slash Hamilton based. Uh, yeah, which is understandable to a point because it is a British outfit reporting. There is going to be focus on the British drivers. I get that, but at the same time, it is over. It's too much at times. It really is. I don't like. I I don't even like. I they should. They, that shouldn't even be a thing. Like it's. You know, they shouldn't be, uh, with good journalism. No, it shouldn't. For a worldwide, I can understand for Channel Four. Because yeah, because yeah. Sky that's is supposed different. to be a worldwide brand. Yeah, Channel Four is just UK. You know what so. I mean? Like that—that's the, that's the, there's a clear difference between the two. Yeah, yeah. And like again, like we've talked about this at length, um, but uh, but like obviously the the comments that push it over the edge were obviously the Ted Kravitz was talking about the F one or the, the film that Brad, uh, Brad Pitt and Howard Hamilton are coming together to make with other like Jerry um, Brookheimer and all those. Top Gun, whatever. Um, we talked about kind of you know being robbed and coming back and all this and uh, just the championship in normal fashion. It's... Yeah, and talk about like, the engineering and like like talking about the car and engineering winning championships as if you know we didn't go through this for seven years in the hybrid era essentially um, beforehand. 
So it is, yeah, it's all very rich and such. I, I, I remember watching F1 on ITV when Ted Carras was just a pit lane reporter, and he did like he, like he had excellent features. He was good, like he was extremely dedicated to his job. He was very, he was likable. He really was. I don't know what happens at Sky where he, he's like he's been let off the leash, so to speak, and he just goes like he like like Verstappen alluded to like he when like when someone I guess he. he I guess when, with his own, he doesn't promote. I guess again, they don't. He doesn't promote like on objective or like it's very clear where his 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 bed is laid, so to speak. Mm. And I don't know, which is fine, not to a point. Just keep it to yourself in uh, that in aspect. Have your own opinion, fair enough. But the natural world when you're reporting on the sport that's your job, you does not need to come into the into that world. It, it's needs to stay in its own little separate separate thing yeah I was, trying, I was trying to find a quote from Verstappen about it but I, I can't seem to find it but uh, yeah like so I wonder how long this will last like I, I read somewhere that it was going to just be this weekend I read also, elsewhere that it's going to be indefinitely I hope it's indefinitely because they, they were already trying to talk Red Bull up based on trying to get back on the good side but obviously that's not going to do it is it Max won't ever talk to him again I don't think. So, yeah, I reckon. I reckon it's possible. Yeah, no, we, it's it's not possible. We will have a Max. I reckon Max is stubborn like that. We will not budge. And he said it's just promote. Max said in in the, in the interview that I saw, it's just promoting toxicity that isn't isn't needed. Yeah, and on social media and stuff. So yeah, and he's right. We we've said this time and time again with the Lewis Hamilton fans and what have you. But it's just not just them. Before I before I get. I mean, uh, accused of saying stuff. It's not just that there is other fan bases that are much worse at times. So it, it just, yeah, just I hope it makes people realise that you don't need to be toxic twenty four seven. That's that's the that's the main thing for me. And look, he's not the only noble, uh, I guess, star in their sport to not talk to a certain publication. Like I remember watching Match of the Day on BBC. And Sir Alex Ferguson like, didn't talk to the BBC for the longest time. It was Mike Phelan that came out and did the interviews for Manchester United with the with BBC. Like for years, Fergie boycotted the BBC. <laughs> do you do you remember that? No, I didn't watch football at that time. So yeah, no. yeah, but like it was Mike Mike Phelan would be the one to give the post the post game interview to BBC. Ferguson did not would not talk to BBC for the longest time. I can't remember exactly why. I think, like, off the top of my head, I think it was to do with something about his son. Yeah. But it was only towards the, like, I think maybe the last season of Ferguson's career that he actually ended up talking to BBC again. So he eventually relaxed it. But for years, like, it was, he didn't talk to BBC. So not Uh, the first example of this. Sky can't lose Max. (laughs) They can't. The thing I worry about, like, they always, look, they're, they're going to have this Hamilton agenda for as long as he's in the sport. But like, yeah. what? Where do they like? But eventually, he's got to leave. Where do they go afterwards? George. They assume Russell or Lando, right? Yeah, it's George. It's obvious. It's Mercedes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's anyway. It, it's really frustrating. Like, but I'm I'm glad. Like, people should and people shouldn't be shocked about it. It's been, I like Verstappen said. Yeah, it's like Verstappen saying constant kind of digging here and there. Um, yeah. He said he's not. He's not. He's nothing to do with the Mexico uh, Grand Prix weekend. But just, yeah. he said he's tired of the disrespect uh, 
and yeah he said he's not tolerating anymore and he's not answering them good so I, I'm happy for him and I, I hope it continues because they they honestly they need some they need some change there honestly like they do need to flush out a lot of the uh, unless it's look unless it's their agenda like again maybe it's just their agenda they just want to have people who are um, inclined towards Mercedes like former Mercedes employee Anthony Davidson known for uh, a Hamilton fan um, Damon Hill and and you know we shift to an extent but not 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 nearly as bad. Uh, to that as well Simon Lazenby is is low-key one of the worst presenters I think and who does obviously as the presenter drives a lot of these questions and conversations but to be fair to him he is told what to say nine times of ten by his producers he yeah is the lead presenter is normally told what to bring up in conversation so I'm not going to pin things on people but yeah you're you right in what, what you're saying yeah. So, anyways, I'm glad, and I hope it continues. <laughs> so do I. Honestly, it would be so funny, so funny to see it go to the end of the season. Um, Even just permanently, would be funny. Yeah. I, again, I might be here for it. And, and again, again, it's 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 been earned. It's not out of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Any other thoughts on? Oh, did you like the? Um, by the way, two things. One, a retro uh, a retrospective loser of the weekend from last weekend. For the worst checkered flag waving in the history of F1 with Tim Cook. Do you remember that? Yeah, not great at all. Literally no effort put in whatsoever. Just awful. Uh, and two, did you enjoy the um, the localised no. F1 theme? I really liked no, it. I hate that kind of thing. That was great. It's cheesy. It sounded so. It sounded great. Nice, nice change. No. Boo! You used to like. F- I don't like change. Uh, I knew you were. <laughs> uh, so I, th- I thought those were too cool. Um, Racing out of ten, if you know the thoughts on this Grand Prix, because nothing really happened. Three. Yeah. That's the lowest I've ever given. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the you take Daniel Daniel Ricciardo out of that race, <laughs> it's a one. Yeah, I'll 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 give it a four just because of that. There was some midfield stuff, but generally speaking, it was pretty. It made my mind of a worst race of the season award. <laughs> yeah, I think so. What comes close? What what comes close? Nothing comes close to that. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know actually, but yeah, nothing in particular makes me think. Oh Jesus Christ! This is like twenty sixteen bad and vibes bad. Uh, whatever it was, twenty fourteen vibes. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm scrolling through and I'm trying to think. Like, not Netherlands, not Belgium. Not hungry. France, I can't even remember it much at this stage. No. France, kind of, but not really. We had some good midfield battles there. Canada? Mm, eh, not really. No, Canada was all right. Baku was kind of... I think probably it was Baku, to be fair. Yeah, Baku wasn't great. Uh, was Baku or... Was, I can't remember. Spain wasn't great either. Yeah, for I was, remember. Was, yeah, obviously with the max giving Checo... Uh, check out giving Max the win and one. And the clerk retiring and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, not the best. Yeah, I think those two are probably the ones that stand out the most. But yeah, this is yeah, I think this probably definitely comfortably is the worst race of the season. Yeah. So but yeah, shame, but Maybe again next year? Yeah. And year after that perhaps, who knows? Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, that's gonna do it for this week's edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. I've been Graham. 
I have been Howard's has been two hours. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we shall see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>